So would you pray with me? Father God, thanks so much for your grace and for uh, your goodness to us. Thank you so much for loving us, for taking uh, such good care of uh, your people. Uh, God, thank you for your word, your living and active word. Thank you that you still use it to change hearts and lives, even today. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are always working in us and through us uh, for your namesake, for your glory. And so I pray that you would do that uh, this morning. God, I pray that your spirit would be our teacher and our guide. I pray that you would open our eyes, help us uh, to see what you have for us. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you so much uh, for loving us first. And we pray these things in uh, the good name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I am excited this morning because uh, we get to talk about ecclesiology. Yeah! Hey, listen, if you, if you did not grow up in the church, if you're new to the church, if you're just checking out the church, you may hear that word this morning and go, I have no idea what you are talking about. If you are here this morning and you grew up in the church and you love the church, you may hear that word and think to yourself, I have no idea what you're talking about. Ecclesiology is the study of church. And so we are going to talk this morning about the church. I have to tell you, um, I love the church. Man, I love the church. The church is God's idea. He dreamed it up. He thought it up before the foundation of the earth was ever laid. Uh, it is a, a beautiful, beautiful thing that God thought of. When you study the church, you realize that the church has been used by God throughout history uh, to, to influence and impact human culture. Uh, the church has influenced and impacted higher education. Uh, the church has influenced and impacted medicine. The church has influenced and impacted uh, the poor and the marginalized. The church, over the course of history, has given a voice to the voiceless. The church, this thing that God dreamed up, is a beautiful thing. And you and me, we get to be a part of it. And so this morning, I want us to think together about this beautiful idea that God thought of. I want us to ask four questions or think about four ideas. I want to ask the question, who builds the church? Who builds the church? I'm not talking about a, a church building. I'm talking about the church body. Who builds the church? Who is responsible? Uh, who advances the church? How does the church advance and go out into uh, the world? Third, I want us to think uh, together about how does the church grow or how does the church uh, build together in unity? And then fourth, I want us to ask and answer the question, who leads the church? And so the first question is, who builds the church? One of the things that I love about the Bible is that uh, sometimes when we ask a question, uh, the, the Bible actually answers it. And so I thought if we're wondering this morning who builds the church, uh, let's look to the Bible to find the answer uh, to our question. And we can do that in Matthew chapter 16. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have a copy of Scripture with you, the verse uh, will be on the screen and you can uh, follow along. This is a conversation uh, that Jesus was having with Peter and his disciples 
Uh, They were in Caesarea Philippi, I believe, at the time. And Jesus was asking his disciples, hey, um, what are people saying about who I am? Who do people say that I am uh, when people go into work on Monday morning and hang out at the coffee pot and my name uh, comes up? What do they say? When people are at the soccer field and they're talking to other parents and my name is brought up, um, uh, what do they say about me? Who do people say that I am? is the question that Jesus asks. And they say, well, some, uh, some people say, Jesus, uh, that you are a, uh, a great prophet. Uh, some uh, people say that you're a prophet who, uh, who has come. And, and other people say that maybe that you're a great, a great man. Uh, people say various things about you, Jesus. But then Jesus takes the question from very general and he makes it very personal. God oftentimes does this in life, doesn't he? He takes a question that's very general and he makes it very personal. And he looks to his disciples and he says, well, who uh, do you say that I am? And uh, Peter, uh, who oftentimes was uh, the first one uh, to pipe up, uh, says that uh, you uh, are uh, the the Christ. In other words, you, you are the Savior of the world, Jesus. And Jesus responds in this way in Matthew chapter 16, Verse 17, it says, Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So who builds the church? If, if someone were to ask me that question, admittedly, my first response or my first inclination would be like, uh, well, we, we do. We're, we're responsible for it. Um, it's, it's our responsibility to build the church. And so then I think to myself, well, uh, if that's the case, then who uh, should we, we gather um, to actually build it? And my thought is, is, well, like, gather the best and the brightest, right? I mean, if I'm going to build something, I would want a bunch of smart people um, who, who are gathered around building it together, Right? And so I would find Christians who graduated with honors. And I would say, I have this idea um, to build this thing. Uh, do you want to be a part of it? Because smart people think about smart ideas. And if you're going to build something that's going to change the world, uh, it makes sense that you would get a bunch of smart people in the room. I also would want to get a lot of innovative people in the room. Like maybe some people that think outside the box, right? Because the the church is going to move out into the world and it's going to grow and it's going to be around forever and it's going to it's going to be something this this force that moves into the culture and and if you start dreaming about something like that, you better get some innovative people around the table. So I would get smart people and I would get uh, innovative people. I would get some creative people. But not too many creative people cuz that can go sideways, you know. Everyone's got an idea. You know, but, but you definitely need some creativity, right? You, you need to, to dream about w- what you're capable of doing and building this thing that God uh, requires us uh, to build. And so I would get smart people and innovative people. I would get a few uh, creative people. And then I'm just being honest with you. I'd get some wealthy people. I mean, I'd get some people with, with deep pockets. Right? Because it sounds like if you're going to build something that's going to move out into the world, and change it forever? I mean, that just sounds expensive. Right? And so I want to get some wealthy people 
who are going to be a part of this. I want uh, to get some influential people. I want to get people uh, who, can, who can move among the culture. They're the movers and the shakers. They know people who know people who know people. So I'm just telling you, if it was my responsibility to build this, I would get smart people and innovative people and influential people and, and rich people and, and the movers and the shakers of, of the world to do this. And I would gather them up. I would build the church like the 1992 U.S. Olympic men's basketball team. And I'd make a call to MJ. I'd be like, listen, I need you. He's like, I know some people. Right? He'd call Magic. Magic would call Bird. Right? They would gather together, and then they would call some of their friends. They would call Carl Malone, and they would call the Admiral, David Robinson. They wouldn't call John Stockton because Isaiah Thomas got hosed. Right? Isaiah Thomas should have been on that team, so I wouldn't call John Stockton. We would call Isaiah Thomas. In other words, we would call the best and the brightest in the world. We would create a dream team. Right? We, we would have someone like, like John Piper thinking about theology, and someone like Tim Keller who would study the city and figure out and understand where we live. I'd call Ravi Zacharias and I'd be like, listen, I need you to, I need you to handle apologetics for me. I need you to handle apologetics. And he'd be like, I, I, can, I can do that. I, I'd call Andy Stanley and I'd be like, listen, if you could pinch hit and preach every once in a while when we're talking about the New Testament, I need you to come step in because you're, you're, you're good, you're good, you're, you're the best and the brightest. And so we would, we would bring them all together. And, and we, I, would build it. But... Uh, if, if you look here, um, Jesus doesn't say um, that you build it. Look at what he says, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build the church. Who builds the church? God builds the church. Like it's his idea. Like he dreamed it up. He thought about it. He said, I'm going to create this, this force that no one will be able to stop. I'm going to do it though. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that and when I'm reminded of that, that is good news for me. Man, it's good news. When I read statistics and I hear people talk about the church and I just think to myself, God said he's going to build it. And he's going to do what he says. He is a promise-keeping God. So, so God builds the church, which means that we all kind of get to sit back and just watch, right? Like, whew, pressure's off. You just kick back and you just kind of watch. Well, not exactly, <laughs> Because the really cool thing is, is that this project that God is a part of, this promise that he has made, he invites you and me. He invites us to advance the church. He, he invites us, you and me, to advance the church. He looks at Peter and says, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. He, he looks to Peter and says, you get to be a part of it. Like, I'm going to do it, but I choose you to be a part of it. I want you to notice two things from verse 18. The first is who he chooses to build his church. And second, I want you to notice the nature of the church. 
The first thing to notice is that he chooses Peter uh, to build the church. He uses Peter. He invites Peter. God's going to do it, but he says, Peter, like, come be a part of this. That's unexpected. i got to be honest with you. If I was picking someone to kind of get the ball rolling and build this thing that we call the church, I don't know if Peter would have been my first choice. I mean, Peter seems like the kind of guy, he's always the first one to speak up. Uh, he's the first one maybe to, to shout something out when maybe, just maybe, he should keep quiet. <laughs> Peter's always the one to kind of stick his neck out first. When you study the life of Peter, you can point to a time or two when uh, Peter maybe said or did something that he regretted. Not long after Jesus says this to Peter, uh, Peter has short-term memory loss when he was asked if he knew even who Jesus was. In other words, uh, Peter was human. He was human. He uh, made mistakes. Uh, He was broken. He sinned. Had a few skeletons in the closet. A a few things that he would look back to in his life and go, well, I'd like to do that over. In other words, Peter was a lot like you and me. He was a lot like us. He was a a fisherman. Didn't graduate from the head of the class, the top rabbi school. He's kind of a salt of the earth sort of guy. And I I read this story about Peter and and how Jesus looks to Peter and says, You are Peter. I'm going to use you to build my church. And, And I start to dream and think about what would it look like if the God of the universe, the God who made you and me, would say the same thing to you and me. Like, what if God's plan for the church and the advancement of the church is not just the seminary professor, it's not just the educated, uh, dynamic pastor? What if God's plan for the church is you? Like you. Recently, I've been reading a book called Alone at the Top by a gentleman by the name of Dwight Smith. And he made this statement. I thought it was so good. He said, whatever God is going to do in the world, he is going to do through all Christ's people. Whatever God is going to do in the world, he is going to do through all Christ's people. That's you. Not, Not just the elite, not just the influential or the wealthy, like all of us, like the Ph.D. and the GED, right? both sides of the tracks, the wealthy and the influential and those who are not, those who have a platform and those who have a voice and those who do not. What if God's plan for the church was for him to call and to use and to develop and to grow all of Christ's people Dwight Smith goes on to write, The company of Jesus is not people streaming to a shrine. It is not people making up an audience for a speaker. It is laborers engaged in the harvesting task of reaching their perplexed and seeking brethren with something so vital that if it is received, it will change their lives. That is compelling. 
That's compelling to me. The fact that God uses all of his people to send the gospel out. The the fact that, that church is not simply or only us gathering together for a show on Sunday. It is us, the people of God, being sent out on mission into the world with life-changing good news. I love how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And you, the church, you, me, people sitting next to you, we have the joy of proclaiming his excellencies among uh, the nations. What if God's plan uh, for the church was for all of Christ's people um, to go and to be sent? Who builds the church? Uh, God builds the church. Uh, but God invites all of his people, you and me, uh, to advance uh, the church. And the third thing I want us to think about uh, or, or to uh, remember is that, that not only does God choose all of us um, to be a part of the church, but it, it says that the church is advancing. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Oftentimes when I think about the church, I think of maybe the safe of the safe building, like outside of the craziness and the fray of the world, right? A place to kind of hunker down. Uh, I have this picture of the church like a, a warm Michigan fire in the middle of December or January. It's like, it's cold out there. I don't want to be out there. I want to come in here. It's warm. It's safe here. Uh, and yet this picture of the church is, is not one like that. And the picture of the church is an advancing force uh, in the world. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The, the gates of hell cannot keep the church from advancing. And so God is, is building his church, but he's invited you and me uh, to be a part of it. And he equips, third, he equips us differently in building his church. He equips us differently. So we're, all of us have been gifted differently and uniquely by God. We have different strengths and we have different weaknesses. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 11, and says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints uh, for the work of the ministry, right? For the building up of the body. I haven't really thought about this much. I think sometimes when we hear things like apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, maybe you think about a particular role. Um, I don't want you to think this morning about a particular role, but I want you to think about a particular function for a minute. Like what if the, the church functioned in such a way that we saw how people were uniquely gift, gifted by God and we celebrated their gifts? The apostle was one who was sent. It was someone typically who maybe had a big picture for uh, the world. They were the sent ones. They were, they were going out. They were, they were moving. They were advancing. The, the prophets were not only ones who simply foretold uh, the future, but they were, 
they were ones who, who spoke truth and would send out truth to the people. The evangelists are the ones who would share the good news of the gospel. They were the ones who you would sit next to on a plane, and whether it was 45 minutes long or three hours and 45 minutes long, you would hear the gospel from them. They, just, they were evangelists. The pastors were the ones who looked at maybe the local church body and said, well, how can we love and care for these people? The teachers were the ones who took the truthfulness of God's word and made it understandable for the people. So I read this and I started thinking to myself, what if, um, what if we celebrated how God has uniquely gifted us instead of looking toward one another and going, boy, I wish I was more like that, or I wish I was more like that, or I wish I was more like that. I thought about this a handful of weeks ago. I uh, met a, a local church pastor about a month ago and we started texting each other on Sunday mornings. And he's, he's, he would send me this text on Sunday morning. And one of the first texts that he sent me early on a Sunday morning is, is this. He said, James, the community needs you, exclamation mark. Like he was like, he's ready to like take over. And I, like I read that and I'm like, I don't know if they, I, I don't know if the community, I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's a lot, right? That's a lot. I'm just like, this is. I kind of love this little, but he's the big picture, right? He's like, take over the world for Jesus. And, and, and it's so easy sometimes to, to, to rub shoulders with someone like that or be around someone like that and, and either think to myself, they shouldn't be like that, or to think to yourself, I wish I was more like that. Instead of just celebrating that. So I started thinking, like, what would it look like for us as, as a church is if we just recognize that God has uniquely gifted each and every one of us differently? And so we started functioning that way. We started looking at, like, our gifts and our abilities, and we started going, man, that's so cool that God made you like that. Look at what he did. Look at how he created you. Isn't that beautiful? I think, I think that is how... God wants the church uh, to function and to live. Because the primary metaphor that, that is used in the New Testament to explain the church or describe the church is, is, a, is a body. It's the church body. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me there. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, beginning uh, in verse, and this is a, a, a larger little swath of scripture I want to read, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, he's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about you and me, and he says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, uh, yet uh, there is one body. Isn't that a, like a beautiful picture of the church? 
Like he's, he's gifted and wired each and every one of us differently. Right? So, so, so why would the, the one who, uh, who serves on the worship team say to the one on the slides, I have no need of you? Why would the, the impact team member uh, look at the Christ Point Kids worker and say, I have no need of you. How silly would it be for the hand to say to the foot, you're not needed, or for the ear to say to the eye, you know, you can take a break. No, we are the, the church body, and so we have been called uh, to function together. It says in verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The parts of the body that we may look to and go, ah, I think we can probably do without. Uh, it says that they are indispensable, which means they are absolutely necessary. Uh, listen, if you are here this morning and you call Christ Point your home, uh, guess what? Uh, you are absolutely necessary necessary. You're indispensable. You're indispensable. Right? You are a part of the body of Christ. God equips all of us differently in building uh, his church. And so the last question I want us to think together about this morning is uh, who, uh, who leads this thing? Right? You swing open the doors and you go like, who's in charge? And who do I need to talk to? Well, scripture uh, says that God has called uh, elders uh, to lead uh, this church that he has uh, created. Elders are men who have been uh, called uh, by God uh, to humbly uh, serve the flock. And we see in Scripture that uh, when, when the Bible talks about elders, typically it's always plural, um, which leads me to believe when we think about the local church body, this, this uh, picture oftentimes that we have of like one superstar, really gifted and talented dude, like making all of the decisions, telling people where to go and what to do and when to do it. Um, that's not the picture that we read about in the Bible. Instead, we read of a group a plurality of elders. Uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, elders, plural, for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them uh, to the Lord when they had believed. Paul and, and uh, Titus says, point elders in every city. Um, one, uh, one author who's devoted his life to writing and studying elders in Scripture for the last 40 years uh, says that a church is to have shared leadership. By definition, the elder structure of government is a collective form of leadership in which, e in which each elder shares equally the position, authority, and responsibility of the office. Maybe you think that and you go, oh, that's just some like silly theological book. <laughs> but, it's, but it's not. Like you, you don't want one dude calling all the shots. Because right? you're going to rise and fall with his strengths or his weaknesses. God hasn't wired us that way. He hasn't created us to function that way. He's created us to function in such a way where we come together and we go, oh, he's, he's gifted you uniquely and differently. And he's called you and, and you 
and you and you. And let's, let's come together, humbly serve uh, this church body. It's a, it's a big deal. Being an elder isn't a, isn't a power play. It's not something where you puff out your chest and you kind of strut your stuff because you're a big deal. It's something where you humbly serve. Listen, I, I think about this even in my own life, and I am blown away by the responsibility. And I'm blown away by the responsibility. I think of verses like Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, that says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And I read that, and I, and I take that seriously. Like, I'm going to give an account for your soul. If this is your church home, if you're like, hey, I'm, I'm in. I know exactly what this looks like, but this is what it says. I, I'm keeping watch over your souls as one who will have to give an account. And so it's a, it's a big deal. And we don't take it lightly here at Christ Point. About a month ago, we shared with you and announced to you that uh, the elders had been uh, prayerfully considering um, adding Phil Rowe to the elder board. Um, at Christ Point, typically what this looks like is us meeting with someone over a long period of time, uh, doing life with them, getting to know them, investing into them, uh, hearing their story, talking to people uh, who know them and know about them. Uh, and then we'll come before the church body and we'll say, we, we believe that God is calling us to add this person uh, to the elder board, but we want to hear from you. We're not all-knowing. And so if you know something that we don't know, if you know something that we need to know, uh, we want to know it. We want to hear from you. And over the course of the last month, um, God has uh, affirmed um, that decision to add Phil Rowe to the elder board. Man, it was just so beautiful to hear of voices and, and people that God sent to go, yes, 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 this is good. Right, and so this morning, uh, we want to pray for Phil. But before we do, Phil, I want to uh, share with you a few words. So give me 60 seconds and you all can listen. As I thought about this, uh, this particular morning, I thought of Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, uh, Paul is talking to the elders at Ephesus, and he says this to them. He says, keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, uh, which he bought with his own blood. I was struck, Phil, when I read that, um, primarily because the first thing that he says is keep watch over yourself. Like, keep watch over, yes, the flock, yes, the flock, but keep watch over yourself. And so, Phil, I want to encourage you and challenge you and implore you to keep watch uh, over your own heart. Keep watch uh, over your own uh, soul. Uh, Phil, God is going to use you mightily. I'm convinced that he will. But I want you uh, to know that you are not primarily an elder. Uh, you are primarily Phil, which means you are a husband, and you are a father, and you are a friend, uh, and you are a son of the one true uh, living king. Remember that. Don't uh, forget it. You are not uh, primarily uh, a leader. You are primarily a follower of Jesus, uh, who has been called by God and gifted by God uh, to serve of the flock of God. You are not uh, anyone's savior.
You're not anyone's savior. Uh, you are a servant of your king. Uh, and it is a great, a great joy. So I want you to know that I am praying that God might use you uh, mightily in the days ahead. I want to invite you and ask Henry to come up. I know Anne uh, couldn't be uh, with us this morning. She's, help, she's home helping uh, love on her boy. But I need, I want to invite uh, Chris and Billy. I'm going to have uh, Chris uh, open us up in prayer, and then if you want to pass the mic to Billy, and then I'll, I'll, close, I'll close this. But uh, church family, if you guys could just kind of stretch out your hands as we pray uh, for Phil this morning. Father, thank you for uh, the ability to be a part of this body. And Father, as we were singing this morning, and the uh, words were that you are an artist, a creator, uh, and you do create this body, uh, just like you formed our bodies. You're just so uh, so magnificent in your ways. And so we lift you up this morning and thank you for Phil as he comes to be a part of this body as you put us all together here. Uh, we pray that this body would uh, glorify you because that's our purpose, is to give you the glory. And we're so thankful for Phil and uh, his addition to this elder team and his, his insights and his gifting to us, Father, in Christ's name. Uh, dear Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for, the, for Christ Point Church. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for pursuing us and for bringing us together for this period of time. Uh, we pray for Phil and his, his family um, as he steps into this role. Uh, we've prayerfully sought uh, direction from you. Uh, and we believe that this is uh, a wise decision, and we pray that that would be uh, obvious uh, on a daily basis. And I just pray that you would draw us together, bring us together as a church and as an elder board, as leadership in this church, as shared responsibility, um, that we uh, care for each other well, that we care for our families well, that we uh, care for your body the way you intended and that we do advance, that Christ Point would be an outpost where your gospel is advanced, your church is advanced and moved into a dark world to bring light and to bring hope uh, that only you provide. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you for this church. Thank you for everyone that's here. Thank you for the privilege to get to know them. And uh, we just pray that you'll continue to bless us, guide us, direct us, uh, and let your will be done as we point people uh, to you for their everlasting hope. Thank you for Phil. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.
you might uh, be gracious to, uh, to him in the days ahead. I pray that you would grant uh, to him wisdom. I pray that you would uh, watch over him. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guard uh, his mind and his heart. Uh, God, I pray for Anne this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would fill her with uh, your joy and your peace, fill her with your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would give her uh, a great freedom as she serves alongside of Phil. I pray that uh, they might be an encouragement to one another uh, during the difficult uh, days. I pray that you would allow them to celebrate uh, together as they see you move and act in the days ahead. God, I pray for Henry and for Eli as well. I pray that you would be gracious uh, and kind to them. Lord, I pray that you would set them uh, free so that they might serve you with uh, a glad heart. Lord, thank you so much for your church. Thank you for how you've gifted and equipped each and every one of us and how you have invited us in to be a part of what you're doing both here and around the world. We give you thanks. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.